All right. Oh man, what a blessing to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, appreciate the opportunity to speak, appreciate all the work that went into uh, putting this together. And I appreciate the food. I don't know if those people are here, but that food was excellent. Uh, so really good stuff, really appreciate all that. Um, a little bit about me, I've, uh, my name is Matthew Wojcik. I've been in uh, ministry for about 14 years. Thank you. And uh, my wife and I have been married 16 years or 17 years. And we have uh, three kids, ages 6, 10, and 15. Had to think about that. And um, we are from Texas, been in Malala about a year and a half. And we love it. Yeah, we, it's a really good place. I was raised where there's more cows than people. So, you know, Malala doesn't feel too much different. Much better scenery, though. So, excited to be here. Excited to share this lesson with you. Now, I, uh, I'm not going to share a lesson with a bunch of um, cool little principles necessarily that we can go and, and try to remember. Um, have you ever heard, teach a man, uh, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. What I'm going to do is walk you through my thought process with the topic that I was going to get, what I was given, and hopefully that can be a, uh, a structure that you can use to answer other questions that you have for God, other questions you have for, for the Word. We're going to walk through a, a thought process to, to how to think about these questions, and if we learn how to think about these questions, we can learn what to do about these questions. Because ultimately, being a man that leads your family is you have to be the one that answers the questions. When questions and concerns and things come up in the life of your family, you have to be the one that knows how to get to an answer that you're going to answer to God for. Right? And so part of being a man is accepting the responsibility of answering to God for your wife and for your kids, for the way that you lead your family. And so my hope is just to simply walk us through a thought process to better understand what God has called us to be as men, husbands, and fathers. And so when I think about this question, I'm going to ask a lot more questions, and we're going to work through these. And you may, you may or may not like my conclusions, but I think they come from Scripture, so we'll see. So we'll see that together. So man up for your family. The question is, what does it mean? What does it mean to man up? We hear the term in life. Anybody ever heard somebody say, man up? I knew a guy who got the tattoo on his back that said cowboy up. And he got it in his teens. I wonder if he still likes it today. Um, but man up. It's this idea of rising to the occasion, right? Whatever the occasion may, may be, it's, it's st stepping up or stepping into the best version or the strongest version of what, whatever you need to be for whatever the occasion is, right? It's manning up. Man up can be used in good ways, like man up and take care for your family, right? Uh, man up and go to work. Man up and deal with responsibility. Or we can encourage each other to do stupid things. Like man up and drink another beer. Man up and ask that girl on a date. Man up and, you know, whatever you want to put behind it. <clears throat> but it's important for us to understand or think about what it means in view of God for us to man up. We've got to think about what God has created us for, right? Because we have to 
uh, if we don't know what God has created us for, we don't know what it means to man up or step up into the fullest version of what God has created us to be, right? So when we think about this, uh, we're, we think about manning up. Manning up is to walk worthy of the calling to be a godly man, to walk worthy of what God has called us to be. So the question is, what did God create man to be? What did God create us to be? In Genesis, um, I might just click here. In Genesis, we uh, we get an idea. We see the creation of man, creation of mankind. God creates man in the garden. And beginning in verse twenty-six, let's take a look at what it says here. It says, "Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness." And let them rule over the fish and over the sea and over the birds and over the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What did God create us for? First thing is he, God created us to rule over the earth in the image of God. You notice in that context, he says, he created them, they're going to rule over all these things, and then it goes immediately to in the image of God, he created them. That's significant. We're going to get to the significance of that a little bit later in the lesson. But God created mankind to rule over the earth in the image of God. <clears throat> Second thing he commanded here is to be fruitful and multiply. Right now, we know this is in the confines of marriage because when God created mankind and, and, and created Eve and gave Eve to man, we see the first institution of marriage. Right, man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. It's a prophetic statement. There hadn't been a mother and father that ever walked the earth. You ever realize that when he said man will leave his mother and father, Adam and Eve didn't have a mother and father, he had a father. But he didn't have a mother and father that he was leaving and cleaving, right? It was a prophetic statement of, of, of what marriage was going to look like when you bring two people and they come together to form a new family, right? And so they're, they're commanded to be fruitful and multiply. multiply. So immediately they, they've come together as a family and they're immediately told their job is to create family, right? To, to bring others into the world. Now, as you continue in that context, you go to chapter 2. Chapter 1 tells the creation of man and the, the creation story. And then chapter 2 kind of retells the creation of mankind in more details. And then chapter 2, verse 16, it says, The Lord God commanded man, saying, From every tree in the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat you will surely die. Now, what's significant about the story is God gave that law to Adam, according to the context, before he created Eve. And so God gave this law and the command and the purpose to man. And then God created Eve to be his helpmate. But it was Adam's job to communicate God's truth to his wife. And then to his kids. So on the one hand, man was created. Another thing God created us to do was to obey the law, obey his command. We were created for purpose. And, and we can kind of look at this as like as a rule book. But what it is when God said, but what it, what it actually does is give man purpose. And so we're supposed to obey the law, but man was supposed to protect, protect your family by teaching them to do the same. Man was given the role of protector. 
Because the only thing in the world that could have harmed or killed mankind, his wife or his kids at that time, was disobedience to the Lord. There was no death. There was no pain. There was no other sin. Right? And so mankind, or man, is giving the role, given the role of responsibility to teach and to lead his family to God. Teach him about God. All right, so here's the, here's the next question. Next question is, if we're supposed to rule over the earth in the image of God, what is the image of God? Or, better yet, who is God? Because when we talk about somebody like who somebody is, when we get past what they do for a living, what we're really asking is what is their character? What motivates the decisions they make, Right? And so when we think about this question about who is God, we think about God is, who is God? What would you say? What, what, how would you define the character of God? Holy. Holy. It's usually one that comes first. Righteous, right? God is holy and righteous. Just. Love. Love. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for uh, love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. And knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Now God is love, according to First John. God is also righteous, according to the scriptures. So is God, the question is, which one is at the core? Which one motivates the other? Is God love because he's righteous? Or is God righteous because he's love? Think about it like this. Could God be righteous and not love? Let's think about it. God could have created mankind, could have established the law, and if in the day that you sin, you will surely die. Mankind could have sinned, and God could have wiped man off the face of the earth. Would he have been unrighteous? No. But would have been unloving? Probably. Think about it the other way. If God is love, if love motivates everything that God does, can God be love and unrighteous? Well, to answer that question, you've got to understand, what is love? And it's expanded upon, as you continue reading 1 John chapter 4. It says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and has sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. <coughs> and so love is defined by sacrifice. Agape love, that's talked about here is defined by the willingness to do what's best for the other person, regardless of the personal sacrifice. And so if we think about love as defined by sacrifice for the other, and we think about God creating mankind, or God living in love, and we think about this idea of love, if God, let me apply it to us, if you love God, which means you're willing to sacrifice for him before yourself every time, how often will you sin against God? You won't. If you love your wife and your kids to the point that you're willing to sacrifice first for their holiness every time, how often will you sin against your family? How often would you sin against your community? You wouldn't, would you? Christianity is often taught that it's this system of rules that we gotta we gotta obey the word, we gotta obey the word, and do we have to obey the word? Yes. Absolutely. But we're taught that, it, that it's like that we have to live up to this standard to be acceptable to God. And to a degree, that's true. But if we follow it just like that, 
we're following a system that's no better than the old law because we're missing the heart. What we've got to understand is Christianity is not a pursuit of, a simply a pursuit of personal righteousness. Christianity is a pursuit of learning how to love God and to love my family and to love God's people the way that God loved me, which means sacrificially. And when I learn to do that, when I learn to sacrifice and put others before myself, and I learn to put God before myself, I will naturally begin to sin less. Right? And I didn't have to beat myself up about it. And I didn't have to just pursue, like, I've got to stop this sin, and I've got to stop this sin, and I wish God was okay with this. All I had to do was I had to love God, which means put him first, sacrifice for God. I had to sacrifice for my wife, and I sacrificed for my kids, and I sacrificed for my community, and I sacrificed for the brother who's in need. And in doing so, I'm living on mission, and I'm achieving holiness without walking around beating people over with the book of rules and saying, do this, or you sinner, you're not good enough for God until you do all these things right. And we go home, we beat ourselves up. I can't do all these things, and I'm, I'm, and I'm worthless, and I'm useless, and I can't do anything right. Instead of just getting up and realizing, how can I think about how can I sacrifice for my family today? How can I sacrifice for God today? How can I today put God before myself? And when you do that, you will walk righteously. Now, there's some specific ways to walk righteously. We have to know the word. We have to be obedient to the truth. But that's a lot easier when we understand the heart of what we're supposed to be doing. What we understand what it means to be a godly man. What we understand what it means to man up. Manning up means to sacrifice. So as we continue in this lesson, the question is, what does it look like to rule in love? Because mankind is supposed to rule over the earth, right? Man is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. We're supposed to rule over our families. That's why one of the qualifications for an elder and a deacon is someone who, can, who has ruled their family well, right? Someone who has a good uh, reputation in the community because they've done their work well. And so when we think about what it means to rule in love, Jesus says it's the Gentiles who, rule, who lord over each other, right? The greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves. The one who's putting others before themselves is the one who's serving. So ruling in love means to pursue meeting the needs of those that are in my charge. The spiritual needs. Bringing them closer to God. Having their holiness at the center of what I'm pursuing. It's not saying I'm the man of the house, I get to do what I want. I'm the man of the house, I'm going fishing. I worked all week, I deserve my Saturday. I make the money, I think I can have a hobby. And we can put ourselves first over and over and over again. Instead of considering the needs, the spiritual needs, the emotional needs of our families. When we think about what it means to rule, we get a great example in Jesus, right? In John chapter 1, it says, beginning of verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the one and only begotten, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Dropping down to verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is at the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now this is significant. Because it talked, we talked about at the beginning, what does it mean to rule in the image of God? 
Well, mankind fell from the image of God pretty quick, didn't we? In the garden. But Jesus came, and according to the to the scriptures, he was the he is the image of the invisible God. Right? Jesus showed us. He came and he completed the mission. He showed us what it looked like to live and to rule and to walk on earth in the image of God. That's what it says here in the text. It says, Jesus, as we know, Jesus is the image of God. It says, Jesus came to earth and explained God to us. Why is that important? It's important because if we're supposed to live up to the image of God, we've got to know what the image of God looks like, don't we? And it says that if we know that God is love, it says Jesus explained him through grace and truth. Grace and truth is an interesting thing because truth is the standard, right? Truth is, if you sin, you shall what? Die. Grace says, I know the law, I know there's a debt, debt but I'm going to pay the debt for you. Right? So Jesus comes to earth and he sees people. Does he see people in sin? Yeah, he does. Does he tell them the truth about their sin? Yes, he does. He challenges people. But does he also offer them grace? His life was grace, is grace. And so what we can learn from that is manning up for our families is learning to lead them back to God by walking in grace and truth. <coughs> I heard it said uh, by, by one minister, love is the tension between grace and truth, right? And as men, we have to learn to walk in that tension because we, we need to set the standard. We need to learn the truth. I can't walk in the truth if I don't know the truth. And if you're counting on me to tell you the truth, like if I'm your source or Tim's your source or if Mike's your source, if they're your only source of truth, you're failing because you're not doing the job to show yourself approved, right? You're putting your faith not in the word of God. You're putting your faith in the word of Matt and Mike and Tim. Now, I may be telling you the truth. I believe I am. It's your job to know that because you're going to answer to God for what you take from this, deliver to your families and how you lead your families. So you need to man up. We all need to man up. And seek the truth ourselves and stop depending on someone else to teach us. Because that's what babies do. Babies depend on somebody else to nurse them, to meet their every need. But we're called to grow into men who are able to meet the needs of those that we're raising up. We need to man up, learn the truth. But we also have to learn grace, right? I know so many men that have trauma from their fathers because their fathers had were very strict but there was no grace there was no consideration there was no love it was imbalanced or there's the fathers they're all grace and no standard right we have to learn the truth and learn by looking at Christ's example how to show grace properly and how to challenge properly and how to lead properly and speak the truth in the moments that are needed book of Ephesians gives us a really cool example of what it looks like to, to do this. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning verse 24 says, but as the church is subject as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Now men probably like that verse. Our culture hates that verse. 
Many of our wives probably hate this verse, right? Hopefully they don't, but maybe, maybe some of them do. That may be how they feel about this verse, maybe a reflection of how you lead them as a husband. Because if we understood what it meant to lead them as Christ, they would have no problem following us as men. Let's take a look at what that looks like. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus came to the earth as King Jesus. Came to the earth, he's Lord. But he came and served. He came and loved. And he came and died for those who were killing him. But why did he come? How, did, how, how does he define the love? He defines the love the same way it was defined in 1 John. Um, yeah, 1 John. It says, He came so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Jesus came to earth, and he loved her for the purpose of sanctifying her, speaking of the church. A man is supposed to love his wife for the purpose of sanctifying her. Now, we, I don't have holiness to give my wife, but I'm supposed to lead them to Christ, who has died for her. I'm supposed to lead my children to Christ. I'm supposed to give up myself like Christ gave up himself for the church. I'm supposed to sacrifice my life for the good, spiritual good of my family, which means I don't get to be selfish. Now, I'm not saying I've got this all figured out. I find new ways that I'm selfish every day. And I read new realizations. New things I need to rethink. Right? But I'm called to sacrifice myself and for the same and so that I can give my wife back to God. Look at verse 27. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's how Christ came and died to present the church back to God. But that's also our charge for our families. God has given us a wife and children. They're a stewardship. They don't belong to us. My wife doesn't belong to me. My children don't belong to me. They belong to God. They're gifts from God. Amen? My job is to present them back to God without spot or wrinkle by leading them to Christ, by teaching them the truth, by manning up and doing what it takes to lead my family to Christ. Just like Jesus gave up everything so that the, so that the church could be, so could be sanctified, he died. For the church, we are to die to ourselves so that our families can be cared for in the way that they need so they can be in relationship with God forever. So, verse 28, so husbands ought, ought, the word there ought means morally obligated. Husbands are morally obligated also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. That means loving our wife more in our hobbies. That means maybe instead of investing more money in hunting and fishing gear, maybe that's investing more time and money into my wife and my kids. Now, we're good. Men can be very good at sacrifice for others in, in strange ways, right? Like we have this idea, well, I sacrifice for my wife because I go and I work 40 and 50 and 60 hours a week and I, so that she can have that nice car. And I work 50 and 60 hours a week so my kids can have the nice shoes and the nice bicycle and be in all the sports. 
And when I think, I think I'm sacrificing for my family, but I'm not sacrificing for their spiritual life. I'm sacrificing so that I go out in the world, people can see me with a family with a nice car, kids with nice shoes, and my kids that are involved in everything, and I get to be the super sports dad that gets to brag about what my, all my kids are doing. And maybe that's not sports for you, and maybe it's not a nice car for you, but so often we think we're sacrificing for our family by working more hours to provide more things for our family. And we call that being a good man. And in this world, that's being a good man, but it's not being a godly man. Being a godly man is being willing to sacrifice the extra time away to spend more time with my family to make sure that not, not that he, my son can catch the ball better, but my, my, that, my can, that my son will be able to navigate the world better. My son will and my daughters will be able to grow up and know what it means to follow God and be in a relationship with God. I need to be sacrificing so that they grow spiritually. So we need to think about the sacrifices that we're making. Am I making sacrifices truly for them? For what's most important? It's amazing to me. We live in a culture, and, and it's pervasive in the church, where we're raising kids to, get a good, to go to a good school and get a good job. That's what we're raising them to do. And sometimes sports plays a role in hopefully getting them a scholarship or having fun along the way or learning skills. But we're not half as dedicated to raising them up in the church as we are raising them up to make enough money so they can be good members of society and not a burden to their parents. When we think about what it means to man up for our, our families, it means to man up and serve. It means to man up and sacrifice. It means to man up and put in the work in your own life if you're not a godly man, you cannot raise godly children. If you do not know the word of God, you cannot teach your children the word of God. If you're counting on other men to teach your wife and to your kids, then you're not stepping up into biblical manhood. You're still, like it says in Hebrews, you're still babes in Christ, still feeding on the milk. And I don't know about you, I don't need any more babies to take care of. God will send them to me constantly. Amen. But they can't stay babies. These ministers, whoever minister that, that, that for whatever church you, you attend, they don't need a church full of babies where they get to be the only man around telling people what they're supposed to be doing. They need men that will stand up, stand up eat the steak, eat the meat of the word, stand shoulder to shoulder with them and serve and get to work. Raising families, teaching other families. Your families are blessed if they have fathers in their homes. Not all, not, not all families do. If we look at the world, fathers are missing. Which means we need a man up for more than just our family. Because those other children are counting on somebody being a godly man in their life. And you have that opportunity, but you also have that responsibility. We have a responsibility to sacrifice for those around us. My challenge to you is to consider what areas do you need to grow up in? What areas do you need to sacrifice in? Are you praying with your wife and with your kids? Does spirituality come up in your homes more than just Sunday, maybe Wednesdays, if you're real committed? Do you read the word yourself? Do you study with your children or do you expect the youth minister to do that? Do you study with your wife? Or do you 
ignore difficult topics? Do you ignore having conversations that need to happen to improve your marriage? Do you ignore getting the help that you need to grow in marriage as parents? Are you too afraid to do what it takes? Or are you going to man up and serve your family by humbling yourself and getting the help that you need? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much. We are so grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for all the things that you've done for us. We're grateful for the opportunity we have to live in relationship with you, Lord. We're grateful for the way that you care for us. We're grateful for the way that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. And we're grateful for the opportunity we have to grow up and to live in your image, to, to, to serve you, Lord. And I pray that you guide us and, and help us to honor you with the way that we live our life and the way that we serve you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.